Hey team, once again, I'm welcome back. I'm welcoming back, geez, my man Brandon De Cruz to the show. Little words up there already. Uh, been a couple of weeks since you've been on, but I'm excited to get into the next part of the female fat loss series, part 35, actually part six of the uh, female fat loss series. And today we're going to be getting into the seven most helpful habits for succeeding in a fat loss phase. So before we get into it, Brandon, any like kind of intro you want to give us here? Or do you want us to get right into the most important habits to be successful? Yeah, just a little introduction to the topic. Um, you know, one of my biggest goals as not only a coach, but as an educator or someone that just has a platform to influence others is not only to give people information and to break down research. And really, really what my goal is, is to take that research and that information and provide practical, applicable skills where people can actually integrate it into their lifestyle. So we've broken down a lot of aspects of Physio like female physiology. We've broken down relative energy deficiency, low energy availability. These are all very science heavy topics, which is essential because in order to really know how to program properly for an individual, not for a group or for the masses, not for group coaching, but individualized coaching that is specific to the female that you are sitting in front of, that you are working with, it is really important to understand the physiology, which is why there are so many concepts within nutrition that, you know, there's myths and misconceptions and there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. However, none of this matters unless we can apply it. And really when it comes down to successful fat loss, it really goes, it harkens back to not only adherence and consistency, but also the habits that you have that are going to set you up for success. So today I really wanted to come at this from more of a coaching perspective. Like what habits do we see that lead our clients to be more effective at losing body fat? And what do we see the most, like, I'm going to give you my own personal experience as someone that has coached for over 10 years, hundreds of females at this point. What have I seen my clients, not only my women that I've worked with, but the men as well that have be, have been successful at losing body fat and keeping it off. What do they do? Or what habits have I implemented with them? What things have I encouraged them to do? What type of habits and behaviors are really, uh, providing them with a solid foundation to work off of, to lose body fat, but also to keep it off and to do so in an effective manner where they're not struggling like so many others. Because we've often said this on you know the course of where I think like 60 podcasts together, my man. And uh, we've often said that you know it isn't just about the diet itself. Often the diet after the diet is even more important. However, anyone, any coach out there, honestly, even your you, you know, your uh, standard or generic macro coaches can starve someone down to lose body fat. However, is it going to protect muscle mass? Is it going to leave them in a better place than they started out with? None of these, you know, shortcut, you know, cookie cutter, quick fix approaches are going to leave you in a better place than you started. And that's really my intention as a coach. I know it is yours as well. And so really, not only do we want to focus on the physiology, the physical aspects, the nutritional aspects, but also what habits are going to set individuals up that we work with up to be successful in a fat loss phase. And also what habits would we advise those out there in our audience that ask us so many questions regarding or related to fat loss? What are the habits that they should really focus in on? Because honestly, there are so many things within fat loss physiology and nutrition, dieting, training that we could focus on. And a lot of times people miss the forest for the trees. So today we're really going to focus on the fundamental habits and some of this stuff isn't going to be sexy, but we're going to break it down into a more nuanced fashion than most people are going to do on, you know, your regular generic macro uh, tracking podcast where people just say, you know, hit your protein, carbs, and fats, and they send you on your, your merry way. And so today we're really going to get down into why these habits are important, what benefits they provide, and how to get a little bit more proficient at them. Absolutely. And I really like the way these are broken down in habits as well, because I think from not just the perspective of losing body fat, but also maintaining it, so many of these exact same things apply. And I think even if you have had a successful fat loss phase, it's easy to like 
lose a lot of that progress because you can just look at it as like, well, this is a hard thing that I went through and I don't really know like how to maintain that. Right. But again, if we can just break it down into like, Hey, here's the simple habits that will help you lose and maintain. It's just so much easier to do. So let's go ahead and dig into habit number one, which is tracking your food intake. All right. So food and macro tracking are both tools that we can use to help clients understand what's in food and to determine what type of nutritional setup will help them most effectively reach their goals. And a situation I often encounter is I'll have a new client come to me and they say that they eat super healthy, yet despite attempting multiple fat loss phases and different dietary approaches in the past, like keto or paleo or whole 30, they've never been able to lose as much fat and get it, get as lean as they'd like to. And when I look, look over their food logs, they are eating healthy foods. Like these individuals are eating things like red meat. They're eating salmon. They have avocados in their diet, olive oil, nuts, which are all healthy food sources, but they're also very calorie dense food sources that add up quickly and can easily take you out of a deficit, especially if you're not tracking and paying attention to portion control. And this is where food tracking comes into play as this is a strategy we can use to record and account for all the foods, the beverages and calorie containing items that we take in on a daily basis. Because Regardless of whether you want to, you know, admit this or, you know, acknowledge it or not, every single calorie counts. It doesn't mean if it's, it doesn't matter if it's the creamer in your coffee or the latte that you get on a daily basis, or if it's the bites, slicks, and tastes, like all of these things add up. And really when it comes down to effectively losing body fat, we need to account for these things. And I feel like certain individuals within our industry are trying to get away from calorie and macro tracking, and they're erring more on the intuitive eating side of things, which we covered just recently in depth with a podcast, uh, with our round table that we did with Jeff. But when your goal is to lose a significant amount of fat, the most efficient way to do so is to track your food intake, just like you would your income and your expenses if you were trying to balance your financial budget. So just like many of us, we'll be looking at you know our income statements, we'll be looking at our bank reports and trying to manage that. We should do we should take a very similar approach when our goal is to most effectively lose body fat. And I do get that some find macro and calorie tracking to be cumbersome, but if you really were to sit down and time, and I mean, take out a timer, cause I've done this myself. And if you were to time how long it takes you to track on a daily basis, it takes five to 10 minutes a day at most. And that's even for those who are newer to tracking. So if someone can't commit a measly five to 10 minutes to a habit that is going to exponentially improve their nutritional IQ and the results they get, Honestly, I'd argue that losing body fat may not be as important of a goal and high of a priority to that person as they think or they're claiming it to be. So this is really where you guys have to take a step back and and really analyze things. And I often have these discussions with my my clients where I'm like, listen, is how important is this goal for you? We can always recalibrate. This is what I call a recalibration call. Like when someone isn't adhering to their program or they're just, you know, it never seems like they're able to nail things. And it's not that I'm asking for perfection, but it seems like it's almost like they've lost alignment with the goal at hand and what needs to be done in order to get there. That's where we can recalibrate things. How However, if you're just starting off a fat loss phase and you think you're going to wing this and, and just do it on the fly, honestly, nine out of 10 times, you're not going to be able to. And one of the main reasons why tracking your intake is so helpful and important is because how common it is for dieters to underestimate how many calories they're taking in on a daily basis. And there are two common mistakes uh, I see many make when they're in a fat loss phase that they're completely unaware of, but hold back their progress nonetheless. And these two mistakes are they underestimate how many calories they're eating each day, either by not tracking or through even through like simple tracking errors or by taking extra uh, bites, licks and tastes throughout the day that they don't remember to track or account for. And another is they overestimate how many calories they're burning per day through exercise. 
And the thing is that the likelihood of underestimating calorie intake and overestimating calorie expenditure is something we actually see happen quite often in the literature and to a massive degree that would shock most. So I'm going to go through a little bit of one of my favorite studies that goes over this. So you guys can see the massive discrepancies that can happen when people try to just estimate their calorie intake. So for example, in a study by Lickman and colleagues, they looked at individuals who claim to be diet resistant and who believed they didn't have the ability to lose weight despite trying to do so many times over. And these individuals estimated that they were eating 1200 calories per day, which, you know, just coincidentally, you know, coincidentally happens to be that magical number. We always hear people talk about not being able to lose weight on, which has perpetuated the myth that if you eat too little, it'll break your metabolism, which is a myth that I've deconstructed and disproved on the decoding metabolism podcast that you and I recorded just last fall. And so in this study, researchers took these quote unquote, you know, diet resistant individuals and tracked both their calorie intake and their calorie output using the gold standards of assessment. So this included both indirect calorimetry and doubly labeled water. And what they found would surprise most, but it's a common mistake that many dieters make. The study participants were shown to have underestimated their calorie intake by an average of 47% per day, which meant that they were eating close to an, an additional 1,100 calories each day, more than they thought they were. And they also overestimated the amount of calories they burned through exercise by 51%, which totaled another 250 calories. So in total, their total inaccuracy and in estimations were over 1,300 calories. So when we actually look at this, they, they claim to be eating 1,200 calories. However, they were actually eating to over 2,500 calories. And this was the reason why they weren't seeing weight loss, not because they had a damaged or broken metabolism, as so many of them thought. And it's important to realize that we're all susceptible to human error. And we're at an even higher likelihood to make these mistakes when we're in a dieting phase and we're experiencing heightened hunger. And this isn't to say that you're doing this intentionally or that you're a bad person for underestimating. However, it is something that many neglect to touch on and needs to be something you're cognizant of, which is why tracking during a fat loss phase is helpful. And this isn't even just something that we see dieters in the general population do, as we even see underestimating occur in dietitians who are trained nutrition professionals. So for example, in a study that compared trained dietitians with non-dietitians, it was found that although dietitians were more accurate in their estimations of their intake, they were still off by an average of 223 calories per day across the course of a week which is something we as nutrition professionals need to realize, which is why even after 10 years of coaching, like I still track during a fat loss phase. I have right. done dozens of diets. I've been on stage 15 times, but I don't only do so because I want to lead from the front. And when I ask a client to do something, and this is something you and I have had many conversations over the years, is that I refuse to ask a client to do something that I would not be willing to do, or I am not doing myself. I want to lead you guys from the front, but also I realize that I have human error. Like I am susceptible just like anyone else, despite having a full-time career in this for over a decade. So just like I make, I'm cognizant and I'm aware of these things, I track on a daily basis when I'm in a fat loss phase, or I'll track and I'll put together a meal plan, you know, every single weekend. And then I'll just follow that for the, the duration of the week. So this is something that regardless of your level of advancement, you should be looking to leverage the benefits of tracking. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. Um, as you said, everyone is just so much worse at estimating their intake than they think. And I think that's probably true for us as well. I know I've started with so many clients where it's like, Hey, here's like, I tracked in the past. So I have a pretty good idea of what I'm eating and more or less just eat the same things every day. So I know it's like this many calories, here's my protein. And then it's okay, cool. So let's have you actually track that for like three days. And then it's, this is nowhere close to like what we actually thought it was, which is a great eye opener. Okay, cool. So habit number two, following a meal plan, take it away. 
Yeah, you know what? Let's go back one and just go over the benefits of oh, tracking. Oh, my bad, my bad. Okay, cool. All good, my man. I just want to make sure that the audience knows that it's not that just inaccuracies because yes, that is one huge fundamental component that could really halt and hinder your fat loss efforts. However, there are so many other benefits that tracking during a fat loss phase provides us with. And I really want to go over this because I really feel that our industry has shifted over into this mentality where people are adverse to tracking. And maybe it's because they had a bad experience in the past, or a lot of times really what it is, is that you're finding that fitness professionals that have a decade plus of tracking experience are now using non-tracking methods, but then they're promoting these methods as though that is what everyone else should follow. However, they're also not taking into account or being honest and upfront. And this is something that we had spoken about on the intuitive eating podcast is that they have so much experience that they are going to be the people that are most likely to uh, succeed in those methods. But realize we have clients come to us because they aren't nutrition professionals. And I'll even tell you myself, I work with a ton of nutrition professionals and I still have many of them track because I see that there are certain inaccuracies in, in the way that they were tracking before or in the habits and behaviors they had around nutrition when they weren't tracking. So when we look at this, we can look at this from two different categories. We can look at it from benefits that it provides our clients with the track. And then also from a coaching perspective, what benefits having our clients track provides us with that can help us better help them. So for our clients, it can help them gain awareness around their current eating habits and behaviors. It increases their nutritional IQ and teaches them what calories, macros, and micros different food sources provide. And it can help them determine what food sources provide them with the best bang for buck in terms of satiety per calorie and what foods are more conducive or less conducive for their goals for managing hunger and to help them maintain a deficit with. And it's also a great accountability tool to help keep them on track and make efficient progress towards their goal of getting leaner. And then from a coaching perspective, it helps provide us with more objective data on what our clients are eating so that we can make more appropriate adjustments to their nutrition plan to help them reach their goals in a more efficient manner. And also I found personally within my coaching practices that having clients track provides me as a coach with data about what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And then based on my education experience, I can spot some of the bottlenecks or the anchors or the areas of improvement. It's not always that everything they're doing wrong or they're completely inaccurate. It's that little things slip or, you know, they're, they're utilizing the wrong, um, you know, uh, entry in my fitness pal that isn't mm-hmm. verified. So it's, it's little things like that. And when I look at it, it's like, you know, they're eating four ounces of chicken, but it's coming out to, you know, 76 calories. And it's like, all right, that should have far more calories than that. So let's make sure that these are accurate. And it's just like a double check in it. It's always nice to have, you know, objective eye in your corner. And that's what tracking allows us, you know, it gives us another uh, manner or another method for us to provide that with clients. And we can track, you know, in a variety of manners. So I don't want people to just think about this as you have to, you know, you know, track all three macros, all calories and and everything. It could be a a variety of methods based on the level of the client. So we can have calorie tracking. We can do macro tracking. We could just do protein tracking, or we can do habit tracking, but the method we use is going to depend on the individual client that we're working with. However, having clients utilize tracking as a self-monitoring technique makes it so that we can more effectively assess their progress and modify the approach we take with our clients over time, as it provides us with more precise data to work with, and also helps clients create awareness around calories, macros and portion sizes and teaches you how to make food swaps and also allows you to make more consistent progress than trying to estimate what you're eating and trying to lose fat by eating intuitively, which honestly is a recipe for disaster for most. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I always kind of frame it as imagine where your accountants and this is like QuickBooks, right? We got to be able to see what's going on in the back end to adjust anything to tell you like, hey, we might want to pull back spending here or hey, maybe we want to spend a little bit more here. Okay. So habit number two, following a meal plan. 
All right. So another habit that many successful dieters use and many who don't would benefit from is creating and following a meal plan. And most of the clients I work with, especially the women that I coach, are extremely busy individuals who want to offload the thinking process of dieting on a nutrition professional like myself or you. And so what they really want is they don't want to have to be constantly thinking and having to decide what to eat on a meal to meal basis. And within my own coaching practice, I like to use what I refer to as a flexible meal plan with clients, which is a nutrition plan where I'll provide each client with a couple sample days of eating to give them an example of what an appropriate training and non-training day diet would look like for their specific dietary targets. And I also make sure to construct a nutrient-dense diet within these plans where I'm selecting, satiating, filling food sources, which help them manage hunger more effectively and also make it easier for them to adhere to a deficit. Along with these sample meal plans, I also like to provide food swaps so that they have structured flexibility. So it's not just one set program. This isn't a bodybuilding meal plan. And, and I think that's really where we've had so many in the industry criticize meal plans because it's been the set and forget program. It's been the same meal plan. It's the same food sources. It's a meal one through six. And believe me, I've been put on these back in the day when I, I competed where it was, I had one meal plan that a, a, a bodybuilding coach sent me that was a pro and it was meal meal one was egg whites and broccoli and meal two through six was tilapia and broccoli literally oh. every single meal duplicate amounts it was eight ounces tilapia you know uh, it was a cup of broccoli and that was it man and it was it was brutal to say least so this is not what i'm referring to so when you guys hear a meal plan don't like that's why i refer to it as a structured or a flexible meal plan and there's structured flexibility and there's a ton of benefits of using a properly put together meal plan that we can take advantage of and leverage during a diet to maximize our fat loss phase progress meal plans provide us with a daily structure and a plan of action so that we can just execute our diet on autopilot without needing to waste time, energy, and effort trying to figure out what to eat, which often just results in playing macro Tetris and accumulating decision fatigue. I've also found meal plans to help clients who don't have a solid foundation of nutritional habits and eating behaviors, which is why they struggled with losing fat in the past. And so this provides them with a nutritional framework and diet model to work off of, which then they can make food swaps and, and swap things in and out, but it's giving them a plan of action to work off of. It's almost like we're where you have a stencil when you're trying to, you know, uh, create something and you're not very artistic. So it's just giving you, you know, it's kind of like a guide. I I'm trying to be almost like a GPS towards your destination, which is, you know, a leaner, more muscular physique. And they're also overall less work for the client themselves and can help take part of the stress of dieting off of their shoulders, which is really helpful as many of the women I work with are busy working professionals who are also parents and wives. So they have a ton of responsibility to begin with. And the last thing I need them to do or think they need to do is become a nutritional professional themselves and navigate every single challenge of creating, you know, foods and, and meals for themselves. And so overall, the body thrives best off of consistent habits and routines, especially when it comes to our nutrition. So using a flexible meal plan is an effective method to help reduce decision fatigue and reduce the likelihood that a client wastes time, energy, and mental effort trying to figure out their daily eating schedule on a meal-by-meal -meal basis. It allows us to provide them with a guide of what a healthy, well-balanced day of eating looks like for their current calorie budget helps clients get an accurate idea of the appropriate portion sizes of different food sources for their phase-specific goal. It allows for them to have a more calorie, or more accurate calorie intake and more time-efficient progress. And it's a good strategy to use even with macro trackers because a lot of times I'll have macro trackers, people with experience that come to me who claim that they aren't losing weight at a low calorie intake. But by having them follow, like I'll take their, their current targets, I'll take their calorie intake, and then I'll construct a meal plan for them. And by doing so, I'm able to check is, 
Is it that their calorie intake, they've been dieting for so long that their current calorie intake, despite being low, is truly their maintenance? Or is the tracking errors that they've been making by constantly swapping food sources and being super flexible, has this bumped their intake by a few hundred calories? And this helps to keep things as consistent as possible. And really consistency is the uh, you know key for success, especially when it comes to losing body fat in an effective manner. And so this allows for better tracking and assessment of progress because if your food sources, your food volume, your sodium intake, your fiber intake, and all, you know, everything is constantly being varied and it's varying drastically day to day, this will throw off scale fluctuations and make progress harder to objectively track, which is something that often frustrates many who diet on their own. And honestly, when it comes down to it, most people can't lose fat on the fly. So providing a meal plan can help with structure and routine and really helps us set clients up for success. And this is something that I really, you know, I'm not, I'm not, Dead set in my way that every single person has to follow a meal plan, but I do think that A, people should start off by tracking and spend some time really educating themselves about food, and then a, a flexible meal plan where we can macro match and we can utilize food swaps that are appropriate, and, and we can really have kind of like a structure to someone's day is something that's really going to help people set, you know, set clients up for success rather than this macro, you know, coaching approach where people just send you three numbers and send you on your very you know, your merry way and just don't give you any in, you know, info about food sources, about satiety, about hunger management, about micronutrient intakes, all these other things. There's so many nuanced aspects that we can't get unless we do a meal plan. I can't set someone up with nutrient timing and really leverage the, the peri-workout window, meaning free intra and post, if I don't set them up with some type of a structure in a plan. So there's so many benefits that we can leverage by constructing a meal plan or, or Often, when I have a client that's advanced and they have experience, I'll say, listen, here are your, your targets per meal. I'll break everything down and then I'll give them some food source, you know, lists and, and food swaps. And I'll say, listen, construct a meal plan and send it back to me. And I'll look over it and I'll make suggestions and we'll work on this together. So it's not this set or forget principle where a lot of people look at meal plans and they almost like, criticize them as though they're not effective, but actually in the literature, they're more times more effective than any other plan. If you actually look into most research studies, they had them on a meal plan. It's a set structure of meals. And honestly, it's the same set structure of meals all the time. And we actually look at healthy eating indexes. Uh, there's a great study from 2017 uh, out of France, which looks at people utilizing meal planning and meal structure or uh, meal plans are are more likely to be successful and have in successful in terms of having better eating behaviors having a healthy uh, healthier dietary index as well as having lower bmi than those who just kind of wing things day to day and so we really have to realize that there are so many tools within our toolbox and we can utilize them in a way that really sets clients up for success absolutely man that's a hill i'll die on as well i think that it's funny that meal plans are seen as lazy coaching a lot of times or at least kind of seems to get that rap but just sending someone their macros isn't um i think especially and i also think people think of meal plans as more like okay bodybuilders use that but i honestly think that the most merit and people who are brand new to this because those are typically the people who need to understand like what that different structure to your day looks like right and again like what is your nutritional rhythm look like? And because the reality is most people who maintain, like get or maintain a lean physique, they probably have like, hey, here's five to 10 protein sources I consistently eat, five to 10 carb sources, my fat sources, and 80 to 90% of the time, we probably stick to those foods. And helping someone create that structure just goes so much smoother than just giving someone their macros and like, just try to fit your current life into these macros. It Again, essentially like it's short-term, yes, Maybe that'll be helpful, but again, it's not actually giving people what they need to create long-term change. So I couldn't agree more with all that. All right, so habit number three, prepping your food in bulk. 
Right. So a big focus of mine as a coach is bridging the gap between research and information and then also practical application. And although I often cover the science on a specific topic, I also think it's crucial to cover how to do these things in the real world, as that's one of the main roles I serve as a coach to my clients who are trying to navigate the challenges around body composition change, especially when it comes to fat loss, which is a challenging process in and of itself. So it's not enough for us to just tell clients numbers hit as many macro coaches do, but we also need to provide them with strategies on how to put meals together and to prep them. So I encourage all my clients to get into a routine with meal prep. And this could be as simple as creating a plan of action and then batch prepping and cooking foods in bulk. But prepping your food in advance is a habit that can improve dietary adherence and consistency and allow us to more easily execute the habits and behaviors we need to nail in order to lose body fat as, at an efficient rate. So cementing the habit of pre uh, prepping your foods in advance and having everything you need when you need it is a habit that comes along with a ton of benefits. It helps us more accurately hit our dietary targets, which is going to lead to more effective, more efficient fat loss. It helps to reduce decision fatigue so that you already have the foods on your plan prepped and ready in advance so that you don't have to make food decisions when you're busy and running late or when you're hungry and you're mentally exhausted after a long day. It also improves adherence and lowers the likelihood of falling off the diet because you already have your meals prepared in advance. So you're less likely to slip off your diet and just grab something on the go due to not having any foods prepared and available for your access. And I'm someone who is a big fan of maximizing productivity. And one way I do this is by creating a meal plan for myself every single weekend. So this is a habit I've had for years. And honestly, you know, I'm not saying that just successfully excludes, but I'm someone that has gotten in very lean condition many times over the years and I've stayed lean. And this is because I have very cemented habits and behaviors and also nutritional IQ. And there's so many other aspects. So let me not just say this is just due to meal prep, but I will say this is one of the habits that has helped me best over the last 10 years. And so what I do is I, I create a meal plan every single weekend. And what I do is I prep my meals in bulk on Sundays and Wednesdays. So this is a set schedule that I have and I block out two hours to do so every single week on both of those days or both those evenings so that I can take the unnecessary decisions around what to eat every day out of the dieting process. So what I personally recommend those who are looking to drop body fat to do is to make a list of foods that are aligned are in line with your macro and calorie targets and your fat loss goals. And after you've constructed the shopping list with the foods and ingredients you need to make those meals within your meal plan, go to the grocery store, but hold up. The first thing you need to do is make sure you have eaten a meal before you go to the grocery store. Cause I've had this conversation so many times over the years with clients. Like when you shop hungry, you're buying things that you want just due to how they look like your, your eyes are bigger than your stomach first and foremost. And then you end up getting some of these trigger foods that you're going to sneak into your diet. And they're just going it, to, it's something that it's a slippery slope to say the least. So make sure that you eat first and then go to the grocery store and only buy the items on your list. Make it super easy. Out of sight, out of mind. If you don't buy it and bring it into your house, you're going to be less likely to eat it. And so then once you've, you know, went to the grocery store, you've bought all the items that you need on the meal plan that you have, then prepare the items that you can cook in bulk. So this could be stuff like your lean proteins, your carb sources, and your veggies. And then anything else is pretty much just additives that you would need. So olive oil, maybe some avocado. These are things that are simple and easy. And a lot of times what I'll have people do is get frozen fruit, frozen veggies, things that they can easily add and, and prepare on the side. And so that all their meals are already prepared in advance. And preparing your food in advance and in bulk is also a huge time and money saver as compared to cooking cooking each meal fresh or eating out frequently, which is many, what many people are doing. They're either thinking that they have to cook every single meal fresh, so it's like overwhelming to them, or they're unprepared, so they're constantly eating out. And there's many conversations I've had with clients where they, you know, one of their rebuttals to, you know, going on a healthy, nutritious diet is, you know, it's, it's expensive to eat well or it's expensive to eat healthy. However, when I actually look at their Starbucks that they're getting on a daily basis and I look at their, their going out to eat or their Uber Eats or, you know, the takeout that they get, 
when we look at it, they save so many. I mean, with some certain clients, it's hundreds of dollars a month just right. by prepping their food in advance. And not only does it save the money, but also it improves their health and improves their body composition. So this is something, this is a habit that's going to move you in a direction closer to all of your goals, whether it be physique, health, financial. I mean, it has downstream effects that are, are beneficial on many aspects of your life. Absolutely agree. And I think for a lot of people, again, like investing in a coach is easy to look at it as an expense, but like when you make that shift, if you're having like multiple meals out per week, if you're having alcohol with your meals, even the reducing that, not cutting it out entirely, but that saves people hundreds of dollars. So I I couldn't agree more. All right. Habit number four, avoiding snacking. All right. So one of the most common habits I see in women that come to me is that they often underfuel themselves during their actual meals, but they end up having a few snacks throughout the day because of the hunger that has accumulated and the hunger that they're experiencing as a result of not eating enough during their actual meals. And so if you're struggling to lose fat, but you're regularly snacking, it's a good idea to look at this as one intervention to work on and one area to pull calories from to create a deficit. Because Snacking is more common than most people think. A lot of times it's something that because it's not something we track or it's, you know, oftentimes people don't track it because it's just kind of slip of mind. You just grab something on the, on the countertop, you grab a cookie, whatever it may be. And so a lot of times people don't realize how common snacking is. So actually, if we look at research and actual statistical reports on snacking, 94% of Americans snack at least once per day and 50% of Americans snack two to three times per day. And this can be an issue because snacks aren't satiating, but they provide a ton of calories for a low volume of food. And because they aren't filling, those who snack will often eat the same amount of meals per day and the same meals. And so it's, it, it doesn't get compensated. You know what I mean? Like it just gets added on into, you know, the snacks just get added on into their total calorie intake. So now it puts them into a surplus. Snacks are also hyperplatable. So they're easy to overconsume and cause us to eat way more calories than we need to as snack foods are designed like by nature, like n- not by nature, but by the food industry, they've essentially been naturally created to hit the bliss point and drive passive overconsumption, which encourages us to keep eating them. And then also shown to increase cravings for tasty foods, which which has actually just been elucidated in recent research. So for example, in a 2023 study, which actually just came out a a few months ago, it was a randomized control trial. Researchers wanted to test the effects that including sweet and fatty snacks into one's diet can have on one's response to food reward or the pleasure response that you get from food, which is something that could be beneficial to test and find out, especially for those who snack on a daily basis or those who take a very flexible approach to dieting such as if it fits your macros. And in order to test this out, they took normal weight participants that didn't have any weight complications, no health indices, none of these issues. And they either exposed them to a high fat, high sugar snack or a low fat, low sugar snack. And the high fat, high sugar intervention decreased the preference for low fat, healthier foods while increasing individuals' brain response to food and associative learning independent of food cues or rewards. So we saw that their brain lit up just for the thought of, of high, you know, high sugar and high fat foods. And so those who ate the high fat, high sugar snacks basically reinforced the food reward pathway in their brains to these types of hyperplatable foods, which can be an issue as this can cause us to preferentially choose more hyperplatable energy dense foods that have a much higher calorie intake and calorie density, which can make adhering to a calorie deficit much more difficult because A, these foods aren't satiating. They've been shown in, in clinical studies to drive passive overconsumption to that of over 500 calories per day more than whole foods. And also they can lead to weight gain over time. So by reducing or removing snacks from your, your day-to-day, you know, uh, food behaviors and eating habits, this is an easy way to help us help those who are trying to lose weight do so more effectively. 
couldn't agree more. I really kind of frame snacking to most people as imagine you stop your car and just like put like a dollar or two worth of gas in the tank, right? Imagine how soon again, we're going to have to stop and kind of refill when it comes to satiety. That's like just constantly, and especially in a diet, I think snacking and just eating these tiny snacks where it might just be like hundred calories, 200 calorie hit. There's very little to actually fill you up for a lot of people. It's just like enough to wet their appetite, but it does continue to count towards your calorie total. I really like just to, to elucidate that the fact that you said wet your appetite, because let's think about something else that isn't satiating, but drives overconsumption appetizers. They're meant to increase our appetite, not to satiate us. They're hyperplatable. They're very similar to the constructions that we would have in a, you know, in a meal that we would have in a snack, like a, uh, a chip or a cookie. It's something that isn't satiating at all. And it's not meant to be, it's meant to drive us to eat more of them. And yes, they're delicious. However, if your goal is to maintain a calorie deficit, which is needed to lose body fat. So by proxy, if your goal is fat loss, your goal is a calorie deficit, you should look to minimize or reduce snacking. I couldn't agree more. All right. How about number five, flexible dieting the right way? All right. So when most think about flexible dieting, they automatically associate it with if it fits your macros uh, as though they're interchangeable concepts, but they're not one in the same. And a lot of people need to realize that flexible dieting is a mindset that we can apply to nutrition, but it's not a diet itself. Flexible dieting allows for the flexibility of food choices and meal pairings and can improve clients' ability to stick to the plan because it fits their lifestyle more. However, many think of flexible dieting and assume that means you should just use and if it fits your macros approach to fat loss dieting, where you can fit anything you want into your diet, and although this is technically true, just because you can fit a tasty food source into your diet doesn't mean you should or that it's conducive to do so on a regular basis. And the issue with if it fits your macros is that many treat this as a method as like if it fits your mouth hole, essentially, which means that anything could be included in your diet. So it's important to realize that just because we promote a flexible approach to dieting doesn't mean you should eat an excessive amount of nutrient devoid foods, even if they do fit into your macro targets. Instead, your nutritional foundation should be made up of mostly whole food, nutrient dense food sources. So I think the best way to think about flexible dieting is that you can, and you do have the ability to eat anything you want. However, you just, you can't just eat everything you want. So if a food source or including a food source into your diet acts as a trigger food and causes you to overeat, this may be a food that you want to be more cautious of and also moderate your consumption of and exposure to as there are no good you know, good foods or bad foods in isolation. However, there are foods that are more well-suited and more conducive for your goals. And then there are others that are less suited and less conducive for your goals. So with my clients, I aim to encourage a flexible restraint mindset rather than a rigid restraint mindset as dieting shouldn't be looked at in this dichotomous manner where it's either bullseye or bust, you either pass or fail, or you're either on the bandwagon or you're off the bandwagon. Like you're on the diet, you're off the diet which is why it's important to realize that flexible dieting isn't an actual dietary approach. It's a mindset as applying a flexible restraint mindset to dieting is a form of what's called flexible control of eating behavior. So some ways that I like to help clients practice flexible control of their eating behaviors is by setting them up on a dietary plan that is individualized to their goals, their schedule, and their lifestyle. And also to make them realize that they don't need to stick to one rigid dietary approach like low carb or like keto or carnivore or vegan to improve their health and reach their goals. And also another component of flexible dieting that I use with clients is the use of intermittent dieting strategies during a fat loss phase, such as using calorie cycling with high and low days and periods of eating at maintenance, such as when I'll do multi-day refeeds or diet breaks or what I refer to as deficit deloads. And overall, the literature, if you actually look into it, because it's not on flexible dieting, but it's on flexible restraint mindset, this is associated with more weight loss, less overeating, and lower likelihood of depression and anxiety. But it's important that we aim for structured flexibility rather than excessive flexibility. As going to any extreme will often yield negative outcomes. 
which is why for those whose goal it is to effectively lose body fat, I would encourage them not to follow the super flexible, if it fits your macros approach that you see on the hashtags on, on Instagram and stuff during a fat loss phase, as there's several drawbacks to having too much flexibility and really being excessively flexible, especially with your food choice, because daily changes and variations in food selection can drastically alter your sodium, your fiber intake, and even your calorie intake, which can lead to less consistent weigh-ins as well as less consistent fat loss due to large fluctuations, which makes assessing progress more difficult and less reliable. Constantly changing food sources and being super flexible can also have downstream effects on impact, impacting training performance. And it can also lead to issues with digestion, which can be difficult to manage when you're constantly changing what you're eating. Because now it's really hard for us as a coach or even you as an individual to pinpoint the root causes of your digestive distress. And it can also be mentally taxing, constantly trying to find new foods to fit in, new recipes to try and new meals to create, which can lead to decision fatigue, which often results in wasted time. Because think about like some of these macro recipes, they look delicious. Don't get me wrong, but it's like the, the prep time for that is like for, for one little ice cream thing, it's like 65 minutes. And it's like, dude, I just did half of my meal prep for the week. And that same time that you made that concoction that looks great, but I would not be able to do that on a daily basis. So really when it comes down to it, we have to realize time is money. We have to really be effective and efficient with all the things that we do and also make it so that it's sustainable. Is it sustainable that every single meal throughout your day takes you 30 minutes to 60 minutes to create? I don't think so. And so really when it comes down to it, we want to make sure that we're not mentally taxing ourselves because dieting is already mentally and physically taxing. And so we want to make sure that we're not wasting extra mental currency, which is often going to result in people veering off the diet completely, as well as wasting time, you know, playing macro tetris and really trying to fit things in with these uh, very small, you know, you always see people that play macro tetris where they have like this offshoot, you know, the their end of the day macros. It's like stuff that could never create a meal. So it's like 13 grams of protein. I got 67 grams of carbs and two grams of fat. Like, what can I do? And you'll see people like they used to, uh, you know, um, put that on the boards all the time. And I was always like, why don't you just take a structure where it's like pretty, you know, pretty routine. You have similar meals throughout the day. Yes, your food sources can swap, but similar macros, except for pre and post workout nutrition, where we bias more of your carbohydrates and a little bit less of your fiber and your fat intake, and then bias more of your fiber and your fat intake for the, the meals outside of the, the workout perimeter. That makes it a lot more simple, easy to execute, and also more effective and efficient for your goals. And the thing about that approach too, is you can still make those foods that you enjoy, right? And just... Mm-hmm. Eat it on daily, or have, maybe you have an A rotation and a B rotation. Absolutely. All right, habit number six, learning how to deal with social pressure and the criticism of others. All right. So your environment and who and what you surround yourself with can make or break your likelihood to succeed in any area of your life, but especially within your fitness and physique related goals. And often one of the biggest barriers that we struggle with during a diet is the influence of our friends and our peers. And I've seen in my own life and as well as like in my own clients' lives that it's often the people we receive the most peer pressure from when we start a diet is those who are around us. So it could be our coworkers. It could be our friends. It could be our peer group, whatever it may be. It could be on social media. Like it's going to be those individuals that automatically, because they're more used to interacting with you, as soon as you change something about your life, they start criticizing things. And so this often happens when you first begin a diet and veer away from some of the social norms, such as not partaking in like pizza night, or you're not having wings and beers, you know, the wings and beers that your friends and family do, you know, during watching like Sunday night football. And often you'll notice that you'll experience criticism and peer pressure in these moments, which can make you question or even second guess your goals and what you're doing to achieve them. And what I often remind my clients about is the fact that making a change, especially a positive change in your life to better your body and health is something that many, including your own friends and family, may find difficult to accept or understand at first. And they won't get what you're doing, why you're doing it, and may even deflect some of their own disappointments about not being able to do the same or make the changes within their own lives upon you. Because let's face it, 
Most people want to be lean and fit, but not everyone is going to put in the effort required to achieve those goals. The fact that you are pursuing pursuing your goals and making the sacrifices necessary to make progress often serves as a reminder to others who have similar goals that they could be making the progress you are, but they aren't. And this will cause them to often judge you or to criticize you. So realize that their negative statements and comments are more of a reflection of their own frustration with themselves than an actual judgment of you. Don't let others who feel bad and unconfident about themselves make you feel bad about yourself or change your course. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a personal story. Like I started modeling and dieting quite early in life. And by the time I was really invested into my physique progression, I was still in college. So we're talking 20, 21. I, I was already getting modeling gigs. And so, you know, I above anyone can relate to facing criticism from my peers above the, you know, about the way that I live my life, the foods I eat, and the fact that I don't drink. But I let those negative comments go in one ear and out the other. Because guess what? I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. And I don't want to live like anyone else other than myself, as I have different goals than many around me. And just like I respect their decisions and wouldn't ever try to peer pressure them to live life you know, like I do, I'm certainly not going to allow them to peer pressure me into doing things and partaking in activities that aren't in alignment with my values and my goals. So for any one of you out there who are dieting to become a better version of yourself, or you're in a building phase and you're, you know, really pushing yourself in the gym and you're making sacrifices, I suggest that you lead from the front and set a higher standard for yourself and those around you instead of succumbing to the low standards set by others. Be proud of your healthy lifestyle and the way that you choose to live your life rather than allowing others to try to guilt you into living your life on their terms. Be direct about your goals and why you do what you do to those who you truly care about. Explain yourself. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, the worst thing, you know, I have this conversation with clients. Like, someone's like, I don't understand why I have to explain myself. And I'm like, if people are taking that much of an interest, like, they're not criticizing you. It's your friends, your family, your loved ones. Like, explain to them because maybe you can inspire them just indirectly by telling them about something you're passionate about. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you want to stand by your decisions. And also, a huge thing I have to say, and I often have this conversation with clients, is do not be a pushover because once you get persuaded, even just one time, the people around you don't forget that. So, you know, if you are someone that was, you know, decided you didn't want to drink. So in my, I'll give you my example. I decided years ago, over a decade ago, I was no longer drinking. And so when people would ask me, it was not, I can't drink. It was, I don't drink. You know, it wasn't a, a thing like, uh, you know, I'm only, you know, I'm not drinking because I got a, a you know, a, a photo shoot in a couple of weeks. It's like, no, I don't drink. It's not a uh, activity that's in my life. It's not something I partake in. And I never gave in. And over 10 years, I've never had another sip of alcohol and it's made it easier. And no one even asked me for a drink because all of my friends understand that. And they know that about me. And even when I meet someone new, they don't even second guess it because I'm so confident and I'm so, you know, I, I'm so confident in who I am as a person and the decision that I made not to drink that no one even, you know, questions me at this point. However, off, you know, early on, it was difficult. So you don't want to be persuaded because even if it just happens one time, no one ever forgets that. And so they'll constantly try to pre-pressure you into doing what they're doing. Also realize that no one is forcing you to diet. This is a choice that you're actively making to improve your physique, your health, your body image, and self-confidence. So remember that the deficit is only a temporary state of energy balance you need to be in to get to your goal, but in a fallow phase. But a fallow phase in and of itself is not meant to last forever. So don't let the mindset of restriction cause you to feel worse during energy restriction than you should, or to give up before you reach your goal as peer pressure and not having enough mental fortitude are two things I see holding many people back from achieving their physique goals. And I find that many who try to appease those around them end up regretting it when they're in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s and realize they've been living life for others rather than pursuing their goals and passions. So don't let this be you. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a client and they've made like a transformation in their 40s or 50s. 
And often, you know, what they tell me is they regret not doing this earlier. They lived life for other people and they partook in habits that they didn't really like drinking and eating crap food and, and just not going to the gym and, and not prioritizing things within their health. And now they're having to invest even more time, energy, effort, and money into the process of improving themselves because they neglected it for so long. However, if they had just prioritized it early on in life, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's never too late. You know, the best time to start, if you haven't started yet, is today. However, mm -hmm. if you are someone that you were neglecting or you are currently, you were someone that was fit years ago, or you're someone that has just fallen off and it's because those around you have kind of influenced you to do so, realize no one else is going to have to deal with the consequences of your decisions besides yourself. So keep that in mind when you're making decisions based on the uh, opinions and uh, persuasion of others. I also think that a lot of times this pressure to eat a certain way, drink a certain way is much more projected from you then it's actually like other people putting it on you right there's a lot of fear of like what if they notice that i'm drinking something differently or like i'm not drinking as much or i'm making different orders and like people judge me for that where in reality no one I cares. Would, right and just look at like for yourself first of all like do you do that to the people around you and if you do if you do struggle with that you can probably identify like yeah deep down that's because i feel like shit because i am not making the changes that they're making and then the other side of this is like there are people who I think how you frame it is very important, right? If you're talking to your mom or your grandma and it's like, oh, I got to follow this goddamn diet and I hate it, but I'm doing like, I just like want to lose weight because I don't like the way I look. Your mom's going to like, no, like don't. Right. But if we frame it as this is what I'm excited about, right? Here's like what I want to accomplish is so empowering what I'm doing and where I'm going. And it's so cool to see what my body's capable of. Like the way you frame it to the people around you who really care about you and support you. If you frame it in that positive manner, they will be on board with it. But I think it's just your ability to communicate that. And I think for so many people, just like that communication and actually having an open conversation around it is one of the most important pieces. 100%. I think you're you're 100% on point with that. And I agree. Cool. All right. Habit number seven, taking a periodized approach to fat loss. All right. So fat loss in and of itself is not a linear process, meaning you won't see the same loss in body fat week in and week out yet. Many still take this linear approach to dieting for fat loss, where they just keep cutting calories even when they're no longer seeing results or they're seeing all this negative biofeedback in. Literally, they can't, they almost can't take it anymore. However, they just keep pushing because they believe that keeping their foot on the gas all year long is the best way to achieve their goals. And the fact is, you cannot stay in a calorie deficit year round. And I really want to get this across because this is something I see most common in females. And the, th the fact of the matter is you cannot stay in a calorie deficit year long. Even if in your mind you think you're in a calorie deficit year long, you're going to be deviating from the diet and, and overeating at, on occasions when you just can't you know, physically or mentally take it anymore. And so you have to realize that you can't expect to see continual you know, losses in body fat year round as there's a time to push and there's also a time to pull back. And taking an approach which has you chronically dieting all year long will eventually lead to a situation where you've increased your likelihood of muscle loss and experiencing the negative metabolic adaptations your body goes through during a deficit, especially a prolonged deficit, which includes decreasing your calorie expenditure, lowering your thyroid, you know, decreasing your sleep quality, ramping up your hunger, among many other effects that make the process ineffective, unsustainable, and unhealthy. And this is why I take a more strategically periodized and phasic approach with my clients. I found that by utilizing nutritional periodization during a fat loss phase, this is a much more effective way and approach to the process of losing body fat. This type of method ensures that you have times of, you know, periods of being in a deficit where fat loss is your main goal, periods at maintenance 
where you could, you know, which could look like a multi-day refeed or a diet break to maintain the fat loss you've achieved while helping to aid in recovery and lowering, you know, dietary fatigue and also periods at a surplus, such as during a recovery diet or a building phase where you work towards increasing your calorie intake, putting on some tissue and really getting yourself into the best state metabolically, physically and muscularity wise that you, that you can be in. And taking this type of periodized approach to the fat loss phase will not only make it cut more manageable, but will also make the process more effective, especially when it comes to maintaining your training performance, limiting the amount of chronic stress and dietary fatigue you induce on your body and your mind, and getting to your goal in the most sustainable way possible, where you not only get lean, but you can actually stay lean. And this is why I believe the best way to get lean and stay lean is to take a periodized approach to fat loss phases, where we use multiphasic dieting strategies that could include things like refeeds or diet breaks and diet deloads or deficit deload so that clients get practice at eating at maintenance. This is an essential skill. So we're talking about habits. This is a, a habit you guys need to integrate. Like if you're doing long, prolonged dieting, you should look to have some periods of time where you go back to maintenance. And so I like to look at this as a pit stop to refuel the tank essentially. So we're we're really filling up the tanks in terms of glycogen stores. We're, we're really uh, washing off fatigue during a fat loss journey, which is why I'm a big proponent of using refeeds or diet breaks or maintenance phases while clients with clients who are working towards a fat loss goal. So just, you know, to end off this podcast, I really want to get across that you need to realize a deficit is not a long-term lifestyle. So believe me, I realize that we have done, you know, this is six parts that we've done on fat loss. And there's a few others that we'll, we'll most likely get to that are more female specific. But really when it comes down to it, realize that, a deficit is not a long-term lifestyle. So when you are dieting for fat loss, stay focused on the goal at hand. And instead of farting around, let's get in, get some fat off, hit your goal, and then get out of the deficit. And also realize that the diet and calorie intake that you use to lose fat isn't the same as what you'll use to live lean, as living in a deficit isn't sustainable or healthy. So if you have, if you only have or only know how to eat in a deficit at, or in a massive surplus. Because so what we really see is that people swing from extreme to extreme. They're either dieting and underfueling themselves or overeating and gaining weight and then going right back to this restriction mindset where it's almost like a binge restrict cycle. So if you only know how to eat in a deficit or you only know how to eat in a surplus or overeat essentially, but you don't have the skills and experience of eating and living at maintenance, you're missing out on an essential part of the process, which is why it's so important to build and work on the habits and behaviors that we just spoke about throughout the entirety of this podcast, because these are not only going to serve you during the diet itself, but also after it as well. And this is going to give you the skills, habits, and behaviors to, to not only lose body fat, but keep it off long-term. And that's really what it's about. Like we don't just want to help. And I'll, I know this is something that I could say for both of us. And I can speak on both of our behalves. Our goal with a client is never just to get them leaner one time. It's not like, let me see how lean I could get you on this state, you know, October 28th, you know, Jeremiah's wedding, like, we're just going to get you shredded for that. No, this is about teaching you skills, habits, behaviors, you know, transforming your life, not just your physique. So really when it comes down to it, this is why I thought it was so important and vital to cover some of the habits and behaviors that yes, there are extremely important and essential during a fat loss phase. But if you, any of you are out there and you're in a maintenance phase, you're in a building phase and you take a lot of these habits and behaviors and, you know, transpose them onto your actual current phase, I guarantee it'll help you be more successful in what you're trying to accomplish, even if your goal isn't fat loss. Absolutely, man. And again, I think this is such a simple but effective framework for how to be successful in a fat loss phase, maintenance or whatever you want to accomplish. Cool. So before we let you go, dude, anything at all you would like to plug? No, as always, guys, feel free to reach out to me and find me on Instagram, which is at Brandon DeCruz underscore. Uh, my email is bdecruzfitness at gmail.com. And also for any other content, you know, deep dives and stuff, you guys can always check out my podcast, which is the Chasing Clarity Health and Fitness Podcast. As always, Jeremiah, it's always a pleasure, my man. We are six podcasts in. I think we have a couple other ones uh, for female physiology, but I, I think so far with fat loss, we've done a really good job on, you know, really 
you know, outlining the physiology of fat loss, a lot of uh, common mistakes females make, things to look out for, nutritional principles for success. And now we've covered some of the behavioral components, which are often overlooked when we're talking about the dieting, the X's and O's of, you know, fat loss. I couldn't agree more, man. And I think it's sexier to focus on the physiology side of things, but the behavioral side of things is just as important. Well, as always, I will link all that up in the show notes as far as where to find you, your own podcast, and we will catch you guys next time.